Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His kingdom. My name is Brady, and as a friend of mine used to say, I'm one of the people in this room right now. (laughs) Uh, We have Bibles for people that want them, who don't have a technical, uh, what do we call that, a mobile, mobile device. There are two Bibles here, so if you don't want one, you have to fight. There are five. I can't, I can only see two. Uh, So... Anyway, I'm, I'm really glad that everyone's here today because this is what it's about, us being here together, not just because we can't make it alone, but because getting together is part of our mandate that we get together and we worship God and uh, in the hard times and in the good times. So let's look at the text together. Uh, we are going through the book of Matthew, and we are jumping into a time where Jesus is revealing the kingdom to Israel And he's done miracles, but now he is doing some teaching, and uh, he's teaching in parables right now. So we are going to look at the parable today of the sower, which is uh, Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23. I'm going to read it, and do we have the text? Can we put it up there too? Danae, thank you. Let's give it up for Danae real quick, right? (laughs) And I also want to give it up for Bill. I sent Bill my outline at 4 o'clock in the morning. That was an exaggeration. And he gave me notes. He gave me notes. So thanks, Bill. Uh, We have a teaching team, which is so cool because we don't have to do this by ourselves. Uh, So that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they rose up and sprang up quickly, since they did not have any depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone who has ears listen. Let anyone with ears listen. The disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For those who have will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they will have will be taken away, or what they do have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that in seeing they do not perceive, in hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand, and you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root and endures only for a little while. And when the trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person is immediately, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. All right, that was a lot. Just read a lot of verses there. But I, I just want to take a step back and look at what's happening here. Like we said, Jesus is revealing the kingdom to the people. And one thing that's been happening is he's been healing people. He's been touching people. He has been serving people. And he's basically getting mobbed on the beach. And it's, it's to the point that I, I, I'm, I'm speculating that people were, try, were basically crushing him or crowding him because they wanted something from him. So somebody made a decision to put him on a boat to get him a little ways away so that the people, you know, maybe some of them were waiting in the water, but some of them just, they couldn't, at least touch him because at that moment Jesus knew he wasn't meant to be healing or um, you know raising the dead but he was supposed to be preaching so he made the space to make that happen which I think is pretty interesting that he made that choice and um, his presence though as the Messiah which we know the Messiah is God's I don't know what that was but that was cool uh, God's servant who's going to come back and make things right but his presence is really showing through. I think that most of us are familiar with this parable of the sower or the soils. Who's heard it before, this parable? Okay. Um, but I want to share a little bit practically about that in terms of Jesus' own interpretation of the parable. But I'm actually interested a little bit of what's happening in the middle when Jesus is explaining to his disciples the purpose of the parables and what's happening. So if we go to verse 11, uh, Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And this is in response to when he asked, why do you teach them in parables? And what I'm realizing is that as the disciples are with Jesus, they're given an inside glance to the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And it's because they're in contact with the Christ who, at this point in history, is the one person on earth that has the Holy Spirit. So we take for granted, right, that we all have the Holy Spirit now because we know Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so now we're operating in the Holy Spirit. But at this point, not unlike the time of the prophets, there's one person who has the anointing of what God is doing. And the disciples are hanging out with this person. And so if he gives the parable, whether it's spirit-inspired or something or, or not, um, he can basically give an interpretation and he can give the truth behind what's happening. Um, he has access to these things and he's able to take the word which comes from God, which in this case, he's talking about Isaiah, but he's also talking about his own prophetic word that he's given and he's able to use uh, his relationship with the Holy Spirit to interpret and, and uh, deliver the word. So Jesus is showing an example here of 
uh, what it means to have his anointing and his authority as the Messiah to be able to not only hear the word, but to use the spirit to interpret it. This isn't unlike for me in Matthew 16. There's a super famous thing where Jesus is like, who do you say I am? Uh, we say you're you. We, someone says you're you. And then Jesus says, no, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, there's no way you knew that. There's no way that that was revealed to you by flesh and blood. I know that was revealed to you by the spirit, by my father. And so we see that there are other examples in the gospels where by the spirit, Jesus is interpreting. Uh, and this phrase, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, um, I think this is one of the coolest parts of the whole passage. And I see it as an invitation for us to discover what Jesus means by the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it's a pretty cryptic passage. Uh, and I'm reminded of in, Pro in Proverbs uh, chapter 25, verse 2, um, it says, it is, you have that one? Okay, it's easy though. It just says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search out a matter is the glory of kings. So it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And to me, that is an invitation from God in tandem with this passage, that there are mysteries about who God is. And one of the, one of the most exciting things for us is digging into what the word is and uncovering what these mysteries are. There's one other scripture that I wanted to uh, reference regarding this. And I don't know when the gospels were written versus when the epistles were written. I, I just don't know. I, I don't have a timeline in front of me. But I always think about the gospels happening first and then the epistles happening later because that's how they go in my Bible. I'm like, well, of course, Jesus did these things. And then they wrote Corinthians, they, or Paul. I mean, I don't know. We don't know who. Some people wrote it. Paul was probably one of them. That's what we think. Bill, what do you think? He wrote it, but did he write it with his own hand? Well, that's just confusing. There's that part where he's like, I write this with my own hand, and I don't understand that. Anyway, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 7 through 10, I think Paul is really referring in some ways to what's happening in the Isaiah passage that Jesus quotes. Because he, he goes on to say, um, no... No eye has seen and no ear has heard. Um, sorry, let me see. Okay, the quotes, but it is written, No eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And I just say that because, again, I think this is the continued invitation for us to discover who God is through the Spirit. And not only through the Spirit, but as we explore the Scriptures as illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, moving on, Jesus in verse 12 says, and I, I think he's talking about the Spirit here. He says, for those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Uh, this is really hard for me. This is not a comfortable passage of scripture for me. I don't, I don't like it. it. It's not unlike that point in the parable of the talents where he says, take the one who had two who didn't do anything and give it to the one that had the 10 and kick that guy out. 
and that's a paraphrase, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty solid. Pretty solid paraphrase. So I'm asking myself, what does this mean? And I think I've read this. I've read the parable of the sower like a thousand times in my life. And I read the first part, and then there's the middle section. I kind of skip that, and then I read the end. And part of skipping that was not really knowing how to deal with this passage. For those who have, more will be given, and they'll have even more. But those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And I, I think that, again, Jesus is talking about when we receive the Holy Spirit, it will transform us, it will dwell inside of us, and it will continue to change us so that we can understand who God really is and who we really are. And through the Spirit, we can cultivate the word that God gives us. And it will, as we see in the parable of the sower, it will begin to yield fruit. But if we don't have the Spirit, and we're relying only on our own understanding, or our knowledge about God, or our theological prowess, or any of our, even our intellectual experience or our culture, these things could be really profound. We could know everything about God, and we could be absolutely wrong, too. I mean, our theology could be also 100% wrong. But these things are just information. And there's not a comparison with dead information about God versus the living truth about who God says he is. And as Jesus was able to explain these things, you know, through the Spirit to his disciples, in the same way I think we can take the Holy Spirit to uh, interpret the word. And uh, it reminds me of in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about love. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not anger, it does not boast, it is not. And at the end he says, all prophecy will cease and all knowledge will pass away. And I think that there's something about information and storing up information about who God is and that that is uh, a different thing than actually understanding what God wants for us as we are engaging with um, the scripture. I don't know if you guys are with me on that, but that's okay. So, Jesus talks about the people. He's, he's, he's talking about Isaiah. He says these people here, and they don't understand. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's poetry in Isaiah that they hear, but they don't understand. They see, but they don't see. Their hearts are hard. And I thought of an example. I used to live in Spain. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Spain, but Spaniards don't say anything to you if you talk to them in English because they don't speak English. They speak Spanish. And that's pretty direct, but I'm not talking about like in, you know, Madrid or Barcelona. I'm talking about like out on the little, in the little place where I lived. But the problem was once I started to speak Spanish, they thought I could speak Spanish. And the result of that is Spaniards who are particularly excited about communicating, communicating very quickly all the time. And uh, I, have a, I have a really good friend whose name is Jose Maria. And I talked to him for hours and hours on the street almost every day when he was on his way somewhere and he would be hours and hours late, but it was because he wanted to talk to me. But most of the time, he, he would tell jokes and I would have no idea what he was saying. I'd be like, okay, there was a dog in there. <sighs> and then 
you know, and then his brother, Danny, was there, and Danny's laughing, and I'm like, ha, it's so funny, Doug, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I had no idea, I knew the words, but I had no idea what was being said, and not only did I not know what was being said, I could say, oh, that's a dog, or that's a chair, or that's a, the sun, but I didn't understand the idioms, I didn't understand the cultural references, I didn't understand the humor, and I didn't understand the heart of what was being communicated. And what I think is that is happening here is God has delivered, and in, the, in that case, it's because I didn't know Spanish. I didn't know the language. But God is saying, I'm delivering my heart to people, but they just can't hear what I'm saying. Their hearts have been hardened. And God had sent Isaiah to say, look, go and tell the people that they are deaf and that they are blind and that they have hard hearts and they don't understand me. And this comes on the, on the heels of Isaiah chapter 5, where basically God is talking about all the injustice that is happening. People are just building houses, and they're not caring for the poor, and they're basically ignoring the heart of God. And as we explore the kingdom, we know that Jesus has the poor and has justice and has these things in the center of his wheelhouse, and he's interested in us knowing about these things. And so part of Isaiah being there and, and saying these things is, Essentially, you need to turn from this, and I'll heal you. So, people are, God's speaking, the people aren't understanding, but the disciples are blessed because they see things that other people can't see. They're on the inside, and they get to experience Jesus' teaching, and his friendship, and his goodness, and they're seeing also that God's revelation of his Messiah is way bigger than even what the scriptures had shown. Maybe they thought there was going to be a political king. Maybe they thought there was going to be a guy that would, you know, raise up and defeat the Romans. But what's crazy and really beautiful is that God's Messiah has a mandate that is transformational for all people. Uh, even the poor, even the widows, even the orphans, even the sinners— and eventually even the Gentiles are transformed by what God is doing. And the disciples don't see all of that happen, but we get to look back and see that. And throughout this, as I've kind of studying and studying, <laughs> looking through this, just looking for words, you know, that's what studying looks like for me. I'm like, is that word there? Is it also there? Okay, that's, there's a word study. Uh, Jesus uses the word understand in both the parable and in the passage that he quotes from Isaiah. And I see that the word understand is the intersection of interpreting God's word through the Holy Spirit. And especially in their understanding, according to both Jesus and Isaiah, if we understand this is related to this process of turning and understanding or understanding and then turning. And I think this, this word to turn, I don't know what the Hebrew word is, but I know that the word to repent is to turn. I think it's metanoia. So there's a connection here with this word turn and with this word understand. And I think that that's partially what why Jesus connects Isaiah to this parable. And he goes on to exegete the parable. And I just want to make a couple comments about it, and um, then we're going to go into ministry time. Um, the seeds on the path, and I, 
I want to know what it means to understand, to, pardon me, to not understand the words. We have the seed that fell on the path, and it says, Jesus says that you receive the word, but you don't understand it. And I think that this is exactly what Jesus was explaining about the crowd. They hear the word without engaging in the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what he was saying about the people in Isaiah. They hear the words, but they don't hear the heart. And then I wanted to ask, how can we receive the word with joy, but have no root in ourselves? This is the soil that falls in the rocks. Again, Jesus has already explained this, but in context, I'm wondering if this could be about going through the cultural motions or even the outward signs of becoming a Christian, saying a prayer, being baptized, speaking in tongues, but never having our identity, our identity anchored in Christ. So, we live in a culture, you know, LA is its own culture, but then there's a Christian subculture. We can go through all the dots of the Christian subculture and potentially never have a transformational experience where God's word is, uh, actually changes us. And then when things come up that are tough, it's going to be a tough gig for us. And uh, the third of the soils that Jesus talks about, I think, is an LA touchstone in a big way, and maybe not just LA, I think in any place that people are uh, trying to dream the dream that they've always dreamed to dream. Um, And I realize that there's nothing wrong with trying to get ahead in your career, to have the perfect relationship, to have a great education, There's nothing wrong with my company if it's growing or that you might be getting off the street or out of a bleak housing situation or maybe I'm making deals with new management for better pay and you might have just made enough profit to make a big jump into something new financially or got into the relationship of your dreams or out of the relationship from hell. Um, None of this stuff is bad. This is all stuff. This is all life. This is all part of the context of our life. However, if these things take us away from the discovery of the mystery of Christ in us, then they are truly the cares and the concerns of the world that will choke us out. And they will make it impossible for us to understand and really hear the heart of God. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that any of that stuff is bad in itself because, you know, we have lives to live or Lives to live, is that right? Yeah, we have to live our lives. One life to live. That's a great soap opera. They actually struggle with a lot of this stuff on there. (laughs) But I want to be the good soil. I say that to God all the time. I want to be the good soil. I am the good soil, right? Because I come to church and I play the bass, and we go to lunch after, and that's pretty awesome, and we love each other. But what's, what's challenging about being the good soil is that we basically have examples in our lives every day, all day, that are not the good soil. So basically, I, I, my guess is 90% of the input in my life from people around me, from my culture, is actually influencing me in a way that is opposite to what the kingdom is about. 
And uh, if you can't sing and you're in a room full of people, or you can kind of sing, but you're in a choir of people who can't sing, it's going to be really hard to find your note in that choir if you got a whole bunch of people. My, <laughs> I don't know, my brother... My brother's a pastor, and I went to his church over the weekend, last weekend, and he had a choir, and God bless them, but they, they couldn't sing. Like, they tried so hard. I hope they never hear this message. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is we're influenced, and we have to shed these influences if we want to hear the word and have the Spirit help us understand what it means, and if we want to actually turn and be healed. The posture of allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to transform, to transform our lives is a posture of surrender and repentance. And I don't think that surrender and repentance are popular things in our culture. And I think, you know, there are a lot of great Christian bumper stickers out there <laughs> You know, my favorite is definitely not of this world. You know, go deep into Orange County on one of those big trucks and it's just, poof, you know. And then there's always like the little Calvin next to it, like kind of peeing on it. <laughs> but it's not the same Calvin, you know what I mean? They're just, just mixing, mixing bumper stickers. But I do, <laughs> I do think that if you really wanted to ha make a campaign to be not of this world or to be, um, do you guys want to, do you have anything to share? <laughs> it's okay. There's just not that many people here. <laughs> yeah, enough stickers. Yeah, I got them. Got them in my truck. If you wanted to actually start a campaign, though, to, to move against culture, I mean, I think you would get a tattoo on this arm that said surrender and a tattoo on this arm that said repentance. And I wasn't trying to make like the sign of the cross, by the way. I'm just, I deal with the fact that I wonder if I really need to repent. I'm like, I'm forgiven. I got, I mean, we all have stuff in our closets of our lives that we don't want to talk about. And we have stuff that we have to give over to God every day. We have struggles, we have addictions, we have um, just our own agendas. And I'm, I'm not here to be Jonathan Edwards, obviously, because I don't, you know, I have half the vocabulary that he has if I'm lucky, but I'm not here to compel us and whip us up and to talk about how horrible we are. But the truth is, we all need to repent. And repenting starts with seeing and hearing and actually looking at our lives as well as looking at the lives of people around us and listening to the heart of God. So if I'm too busy with my career to even hear, let alone respond to the outcries of the guy with the sign on the off-ramp from the 101, and if I'm ignorant and don't engage with the 35 to 40 people that sleep under the bridge a half mile from here below Sunset Boulevard, then I need to hear what God is saying. I need to turn and repent and ask the Holy Spirit to transform me. And I, 
I'm not really that comfortable with that, but I think it's, it's true. And like I said, we know that because Jesus had that in the center of what he was doing. The poor were in the center of what he was doing, and he was inviting us into that same thing. If we are only concerned with the welfare of ourselves and our family and our family's future, and we have decided to take a break from tithing, not just money, but resources and skills, and I don't mean that just here in Basilea, I'm talking about the church in total, and we've taken a break from tithing so that we can save enough, save up enough money for a down payment for a house so that we can get into the market before it blows up again, we need to reconsider what we're doing. We need to hear the word and allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate the word in our hearts. And if we're so focused on our own agendas, our own goals, or our own businesses, or even something really good, like a nonprofit that's going to save the world or end global hunger or end sex trafficking, but we can't make the time to care for our neighbor, we need to repent from our selfishness and ask the Holy Spirit to clean us up and transform us. And I think there's just a human element here that Jesus wants us to engage in. And again, um, this isn't about sin management. This isn't about um, the external. This is about hearing the heart of God and moving toward what he has for us. And we know that as we move toward the Holy Spirit, we experience things like life, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness. Um, can we look at, Danae, can we look at that one slide of the, the kingdom? All right. I made this a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it's good or not, but Jesus' kingdom is upside down because a regular kingdom, of course, would be a right-side-up triangle. But this one part about having a new identity in Christ, being joyful in service, and having purpose and meaning, these are just like some things that I see as we're transformed. And the next slide actually talks about this is the work of the kingdom. This is some of it. There's a lot more. But this is what Jesus is inviting us into. And part of that is just hearing what's happening in the word, repenting, and moving toward him. So we're going to do ministry time. Right now, um, I'm, I'm about 10 minutes over on my time, so apologize for that. But we're going to move into ministry time. And I don't know what is like at bubbling up at the top of your heart that the Lord is talking to you about right now. I know what he's talking to me about. And... Um, I just feel like we have an opportunity to ask for not just to repent, but to um, make this a, a, a marked point in our life where we're opening ourselves to continual posture of repentance. Because it's not just about right now and all the things leading up to this point. It's about the posture. It's about surrender and repentance tattooed on our arms and uh, written kind of on our hearts for who we are. So I'd love to make some space for that. Um, I'd love to, if you feel like you want to talk with someone that's with you and just be like, hey, this is what's going on. I feel like this thing about this job or this, you know, whatever, 
this new Monte Carlo or like, this is like my thing. That's amazing. If you just want to receive some prayer, um, you want the Holy Spirit to come and you want to be empowered to repent and to make space, then we can do that too.